With that being said, turn with me to Psalm 107. Now, there's a lot here in Psalm 107. There's 43 verses, and it's going through some of the history of Israel and God's faithfulness to save them and to redeem them. And pretty much the 13th verse sums up the history of God's people, Old Testament and now New Testament. When it says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Let's look at that one more time. While I talk to you on the subject of safe and secure. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Safe and secure. I know that most of you are probably up to speed on the news and everything happening around the world, but I wanted to just share just a little bit of what I would call a tragic irony with the loss of the five lives on the Titan, that little submersible, it's a submarine, that's a tiny one, and the fact that as they were going to explore the Titanic or the wreck of the Titanic, there's some amazing similarities between the two. Maybe it's providential. I don't know, but I do know that it makes for good application for our lives. First of all, experts say, for instance, James Cameron, who himself is an explorer, underwater explorer, had told the manufacturers at Ocean Gate that this is not a good idea the way they had built the hull, composite materials. And on one of the test runs for the Titan, people who were in this submarine, let me call it a submarine, could hear cracking. Now, this wasn't a recent episode. And it was, again, shared with the owners. This needs to be investigated because you hear cracking sounds as though something's going to happen to this vessel. Well, with these warnings in mind, I suppose they were pretty much disregarded. And as you know, the Titan, this tiny submarine, imploded. Now, ordinarily, from what I understand, these submersibles are either built with steel, as far as what holds them together, or titanium, or even acrylic, and the Titan was not, and they were warned. In fact, James Cameron is on the record having told them ahead of time, somebody's gonna die in that thing. And the problem was, somebody didn't die, they all died. Now, in course of law, they're gonna have to figure out, you know, who's culpable, if anybody, and you know how that goes. But what I find ironic is that this tragedy happened on a vessel that had a similar fate. The Discovery Channel, not that long ago, some years ago, came up with the statement, the theory, and maybe it's been proven, I don't want to call it a theory because they seem pretty positive about it, that what sunk the Titanic was not so much that they were in the massive ice field, but that because there was a rush to complete it, it was completed with materials that were inferior. And there's kind of an ironic correlation between the two. One small vessel is going down to simply view another vessel, and both of them have the same fate for just about the same reasons. Not only that, but the captain of the Titanic was told numerous times to slow down, and never did. So if we just stick with this one thing, the fact that the Titanic went down, if the information from Discovery Channel and the people who worked there is true, then the Titanic actually sank because the materials were inferior and couldn't deal with this situation when they grazed that iceberg. Added to the irony, especially with the Titanic, it was marketed as the unsinkable ship and sank on its maiden voyage to New York from Southampton. So there's sometimes some ironic correlations in life 
that for me, I'm always looking for meaning in things, or application, I should say. How does this apply to my life? How does this apply to you, to your life? And I think it should be obvious. I thought about the Titanic. I thought about the people on the Titanic. And I'm imagining that there had to be conversations on that ship that night in 1912. There had to be conversations between certain people. There's some important, intelligent people. They must have had some conversation about how it feels to be on a ship that cannot sink. And then over 2,224 lives were lost because of the fact that it just wasn't not only unsinkable, nothing is, but the fact that the materials they were floating on were inferior. So there's this correlation that has application for you and for me. Let me just tell you one other story. I was just barely past two years old, and some of you are probably old enough to remember this, when the Andrea Doria, the Italian ocean liner, was making its way to New York and it was just off the coast of Nantucket, Massachusetts when it collided with the Stockholm. And in that case, what happened was, A, it was very foggy and you're supposed to slow down and in the Andrea Doria's case, the captain didn't slow down, they kept going too fast. But also, when the distress signals were given, ships that close, which are not supposed to be that close, are supposed to both turn to starboard side but the Andrew Doria turned port, the Stockholm turned starboard. One of the positive things about that particular maritime tragedy was because of the appropriate manner and calmness of the seamen that were on the ship, it was 560 of them, they were able to save over 1,600 lives. It was only 46 tragedies. And what is interesting for me on a personal level that it was my father, who was just out of the Merchant Marines for 13 years, both World War II and Korea, was just new on the job in the insurance brokerage company that was the one that had to tell the families that they had lost husband, wife, children, whatever. So I had a kind of a personal touch because my father was there for that incident. But in life, you know, these things happen. And sometimes the tragedy is that they didn't have to happen. What comes to my mind is this. Throughout the world, we have many, many people who deny the existence of a hell. Some deny the existence of an afterlife altogether. They deny the existence of hell. They deny the words of Jesus of Nazareth, whom we call the Christ. They deny the fact that there is nothing that can atone for your sins, absolutely nothing but the death of Jesus, which we simply call the blood, Always remember that the blood means death, that he died, and there was an exchange that went on. We took on his life in the form of, of course, the resurrection, and as we sang earlier, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he took on our death. So we can call it a rescue. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. He rescued us, which the Bible indicates in the word saved. And every person in and on the planet that we call Earth needs to be saved from what's to come. Let me go back to the Titanic and give you an example. So there's many people floating on the ship of life and their philosophy teachers, their own philosophy tells them, I'm safe, I'm secure, everything is fine. But that's not the case. Not according to this book. They're not safe and should not feel secure. Let me go back again. The people on the Titanic no doubt felt secure because of what they were told. This ship cannot go down. This ship cannot be sunk. And it sunk, as you know, on its maiden voyage. That won't happen to most people. It's at the end where the truth is known. 
So we, on the other hand, who have trusted in Christ, no matter what is going on in this world, we will be saved from our distresses when we call upon the Lord in our troubles. So let's establish this, which I know that you already understand. Well, let me start this way, and I've told you this before. When I was a new Christian, some of it is because of the teachings that are out there, which are wrong. Some of it was just me being naive. But some of it, I mean, I think the greater part had to be with the type of teachings I was exposed to early on, which basically, in my mind, boiled down to this. Now that I have Jesus, nothing will ever go wrong in my life again. That was how I viewed it. Now, even though in time I became across the verses about the narrow road and carrying of the cross, and in this life you'll have many tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, even though I knew that intellectually, emotionally, and maybe otherwise, I had this quixotic idea, nothing's going to go wrong. It'll all go right. It all works out for good, that we know. But there's a process when we are in our troubles. And some of you here today, some that are watching by television, listen by radio, you're in trouble. And I don't know, at the moment at least, I don't know that it matters much whether you put yourself in trouble or God led you right straight to the battle. If you cry unto the Lord, he will deliver you from your distresses. Let's read it again in verse 13, which I told you, I believe it sums up not only what's in Psalm 107, but the history of Israel. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of all their distresses. There are plenty of things today to bring us some measure of distress. You just raised your hand a moment ago, and you said that your life feels like it's turned upside down. Mine too. It's been that way for quite some time for me. But this is the anchor. This is what anchors the soul where we think. This is what keeps us steady that no other book, person on the face of the earth can offer us the same assurance. Safe and secure. There are many, many storms that we are encountering now and we will continue to encounter as long as we're on this earth. But you must believe what this text says and others that we're going to read. You're safe and you're actually secure. Maybe not comfortable, but you're safe. And don't ever mix up the difference between distress, discomfort, and the fact that you're safe. There was only really one ship ever sailed that was truly unsinkable. And that was the one that Jesus was on. Amen. We look at the scriptures and we see how Jesus gets in a ship in Matthew chapter 8 at verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest. So Jesus is on board, and yet there's a storm. What I was saying about my introduction to Christianity or to the Bible was that Jesus is on the ship, there'll be no more storms. That's not what the scriptures say, Old or New Testaments. Jesus is in the ship, and the way some people think, and the way some men preach, they present to you a life that has no storms, because you have Jesus. But we read here again in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose the great tempest, the great storm in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. Now, that's not supposed to happen either. We may come to the point that there's a storm at sea, but the water won't come in the boat. Here, the water is coming in the boat, 
And if you have your Bible open to that passage, he's asleep. And there are many, many times in your life and in mine, at least if you don't know better, that it appears that God is asleep. It appears that God has just disappeared. Now, I won't go into the details. You can look it up for yourself for the dark night of the soul. But there are so many, I'll say everybody who's truly following Christ, goes through periods when it seems as though God has just simply withdrawn his presence, withdrawn his anointing, which he hasn't, but it's the appearance. The song service for today, most of you are used to whenever I leave, there's no real prediction. I wrote out a song service. As I said, it got late. I didn't have the music. I said, I scratched that. We'll sing this instead. This is going to be easier. We could do this. And then as I got up this morning, just not one of those songs just seemed to fit. Intuitively, it just didn't seem to fit. So I take out the guitar and I just sing by my intuition. Or I would like to think to be led by the Spirit. And because I have confidence that God won't let us down, there have been times I've appeared up here many, many times. To the moment I was leaving my office, I just felt that's not the right message. Leave it behind. I just open a Bible and trust that God will show up and he's always showed up. In any case... This was a truly unsinkable ship. He was asleep, and the disciples came to him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. They were convinced they were perishing, and Jesus was convinced that they weren't. So now we have to decide with this book in front of us here, which report do we believe? Whose report, as the song says, do you believe? Now, in the 26th verse, Matthew chapter 8, we have to really look at this. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful? I told you, I'm never critical of biblical characters. They have much more stress than most of us have had. And he asked, Why are you fearful? Well, I know what I would say. Number one, I didn't want to get in the boat to begin with. The terrible seasickness. Number two, this is not the way it works. How do you know that? Because I listened to the preacher who told me that. It don't work this way. Why are you fearful? Ask yourself that question today. Why am I fearful, O ye of little faith? Now listen, you don't have to be a seaman to figure out that water belongs outside the boat, not inside the boat. Why am I fearful? Why am I afraid? And then if you wanted to debate with the Lord, which is not usually a good idea, but if you wanted to debate with the Lord, you could say, what do you mean little faith? I'm here with you like you are today. And you're walking with the Lord, but not everything is going right according to your plan. And it's not going right according to mine either. Believe me, this is not the way I would have wrote the script. But since I didn't write the script, and I like to use the expression to play the hand I've been dealt, that's the only choice I have, well, many times, to play the hand I've been dealt, that destiny and providence gave me, and God gave me. And so he asked them, why are you fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And that's the part For those of you who are experienced walking with the Lord, that we all look forward to. When is this trial going to end? And for those of you who are younger in the Lord and less experienced, you're going to find this. At first, the trials are relatively short because God knows you'll faint if he extends them at the beginning. The same way you train for strength. You don't overload the bar and discourage the person who's trying to build strength or run or anything else. You start out small. And you'll notice, if you look back when years go by, the trials extend longer and longer. Why is that? Because God is making us strong through the trials. Could you say to me, hey, Pastor, I just got to let you know, I just love when I'm stressed and distressed and under pressure. It's so much fun. I have never found the testing of God fun. 
I just know what it's going to produce at the end. And that I look forward to. That when I come out at the other end, as Job said, I'm going to come out as gold. I'm going to come out stronger. In the meantime, this is grueling. And as you get older in the Lord and have more experience, those trials seem to extend longer and longer. And you start to ask yourself, these trials have not been this long before. But it's because you're maturing in strength. You're maturing in the things of the Lord. And that's the purpose of God, is to mature you, to help you to grow up. Let me tell you something about my ministry. In case you don't know, you haven't guessed or forgot that I told you this. I was never interested, from the day I began my ministry, a long time ago, I was never interested in just drawing a crowd. That's actually relatively easy to do. My interest was to make disciples. Disciples that can take the pressure, which God supplies, not me. I've never been interested in just drawing a crowd, getting a lot of applause, a lot of people jumping up and down. Not that those things are bad. I wanted to know at the end of the day that these people are really stable in the Lord. And that's God's goal. Preaching is not designed simply to, well, I say tickle your ears, because that doesn't do anything. This is training. This book is your training manual, as I told you about Lieutenant Commander Michael Walsh, one of the original Navy SEALs that came out in 1962 in Vietnam. That's when the Navy SEALs were born. And he says this in his book, SEAL, he says, this is now my field manual. This is not just something you read to get some endorphins flowing. This is your training manual, and it must be obeyed. You must do what it says. When it says to pray, you have to pray. And when it says to believe, you have to believe. But you have to believe against what you're feeling. Your emotions are in the tempest or become the tempest. And they're splashing up against your soul, up against your mind. You wonder to yourself, as many people who are tested and tried for certain situations or jobs, occupations they're going into, to see if they actually have what it takes. I have a young friend of mine who recently signed on to be a court officer. And he was a correctional officer and decided to switch over to be a court officer. And then I talk about the training. He was the guy, I told him, well, if you want to get more strength, you got to do push-ups. I ain't doing push-ups. He's doing them now, and he's doing a lot of them. You show up with any facial hair at all. This is to be a court officer. They'll dry shave you, just like military, just like boot camp, which I thought, I said, well, I was surprised that, you know, that would be the standard, but that's the standard. So the point is that the discipline that you go under for the moment is never joyous. It's the end result when there comes a calm. This was the only unsinkable ship that ever sailed. And the men marvel, let me finish it in Matthew 8, 27. The men marvel saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What manner of man indeed are we following? If you reduce this book and Christianity down to just a man, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that can raise the dead, who can take tissues that are dead and not alive, and reanimate them? Lazarus and the widow at Nain and so on. Miracles. What kind of man is this? He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's the word become flesh incarnate. That's the man that we're following, who is more than the man. And he was a human being, 100%, but much more than that. He's 100% God. And I want to give you this favorite, favorite verse of mine once again. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Will not prevail. In a sense, it looks like the church is getting hammered all over the world. Jesus said, not so. I'm building my church. It's going to be built, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you believe that, 
as you go through your trials, go through your tribulations, go through your discouragements and your distresses, you'll be able to look at this verse in Psalm 107:13 and cry unto the Lord when you're in trouble. And I know that some of you are in trouble now. And he will save you out of your distress. Some of you may know of the endocrinologist, Austrian endocrinologist Hans Selye. And he came out, well, as far back as the 30s, with some scientific discoveries on the endocrine system hormones dealing with stress. And he came up with this concept of eustress, which is EU, and distress. And the difference between, in other words, all stress is not the same. For those of you who wish you had no stress in your life, you would do yourself a disservice because there is good stress that motivates you to overcome, accomplish, do things. That's what Hans Selye came up with as you stress, and we all need it. And then there is distress, for which he came up with the theory of the general adaptation syndrome, which means that if you have too much stress, the toxic stress, the bad stress, it'll first be an alarm or a shock, and then you go into a state of fatigue, and then finally into a state of exhaustion. I talk to a lot of people during the course of a week, and I'm telling you that people are exhausted. But why? With all that we have, why are we so exhausted? Well, it has to do with distress. The problems you have at home, then on the job, then is in the world, and then you go on and on. Your curiosity can't keep you away from the news, so you watch it again and again, and the images become more violent. I'm not talking about people here who are just trying to con us. I'm also talking about people who are intending to do good things, but I've come to a point where I can't even watch it anymore. It's way over the top. The general adaptation syndrome that Hans Selye came up with is, I think, proven in our lives. Things shock us or alarm us, then if that's prolonged, we start to get fatigued. And you can say to someone, why are you so tired? They really don't know. But what is the cause of that fatigue will eventually lead to total exhaustion. Then you have depression and anxiety and panic attacks and uh, why do I even want to live suicidal ideation, suicidal ideas, and on and on. But our text says here, and they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. Saved them out of their distresses. It's a little bit, well, I'll use the word discouraging, but that's not really what I mean. To talk to Christians of long tenure in the Lord who don't appear to have learned much in 30, 40, 50 years. Now, that doesn't mean they don't know the Bible, turn to this book, turn to that book, they can get there. That's all the intellect. But the training has not been done. In the times of stress, which can become eustress, according to Selye, that stress can build you. Dean Ornish, who is a famous cardiologist, says basically the same thing. It's not stress that damages your heart, damages your organs. It's the way you handle stress. But when you're stressed, you're stressed. So you're tempted to call up this one, then that one, then another one, then another one. And the more you repeat the story, the more distressed you become. So what we want to do is to be able to quote the scriptures. It is written. And knowing the book is true because it was written by God himself, we are assured that the stress that we have will not always be or put us in distress till we get to a place of total fatigue gassed, burnt out, but rather be eustress and build us. But you're not going to be able to live in this world and avoid all stress. 
You just want to make sure it don't become distressed. But even when it does, you call upon the Lord in your trouble and he saves you out of your distress. I've listened to enough sermons, not my own, but I mean, I've listened to enough sermons over the years to know that sometimes even the preacher themselves are just repeating what anybody could read. That's different than being actually trained in the word so that the stressors in your life don't roll over into a general adaptation syndrome, doesn't roll over into, well, shock would always be first with certain stressors, that you don't get into that fatigue and then you're just exhausted. There's nothing left. Now, I'm not going to talk about methods of avoiding these distressful situations and stressors, but generally speaking, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. That's a promise of God. And what really matters is if you believe it, not if I believe it, but if you believe it, and you say, well, I believe it, you will be tested. When? I don't know. How long? I don't know that either. Everybody is tested. Everyone who is a true child of God is tested. On many levels, we are tested. We're tested. Let me just say this one more time, just for my own sake. I have no interest in speaking to people who are just going to say, well, that was a great message. I'm not interested in being an intellectual. I'm not interested in being a motivational speaker, a cheerleader. I am not a life coach. That's for somebody else. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you from experience, as well as what this text says, call upon the Lord in your trouble and he will deliver you from your distresses because they're coming. Is there anybody here in this room who says, I don't want any more stress? <laughs> well, I wish I could say to you, oh, I will pray for that. But my message last week prevents it. Never pray for an easy life. That's what we all want. That's what I wanted when I signed up for Jesus. An easy life. That's what I thought I was going to get. It's not what I got. Not what I got at all. But anytime I felt the Lord speaking to me about, now this is what you wanted. Is this what you still want? The answer is still yes. And so there's a story told about this monastery in Portugal. I don't know if it's true or fictitious. It's 3,000 feet up on a mountain. The only way to get there is to be drawn up in a basket. I do know there are monasteries up. And if you look them up either on YouTube or Google, it's pretty interesting. You have to climb 3,000 feet to get inside a cathedral. Interesting. Anyway, there was an American tourist who was being pulled up in the basket to see this monastery 3,000 feet in the air, which is pretty high. And he noticed that as the monks are pulling him up. And he noticed that the rope is frayed. <laughs> it's got a long way to go down if it breaks. Finally, when he got pulled to the top and to the monastery, he asked a simple question of the monks. He said, how often do you change this rope? And the answer was, every time it breaks. <laughs> well, you're being pulled by God. And the rope at time looks frayed. As I mentioned, the church looks like it's getting hammered. The church looks like it's about to lose. Not so. God always shows up. But he tests his people. The rope may be frayed, but it's not going to break. It's never going to break. This book here is not going to break. No one's going to be able to take away this book out of the hands of humanity. This is the invincible book right here. <laughs> for those of you looking for an easy life, let me tell you a little story. My wife and I were on a plane. I don't remember where we were going or where we were coming from. I just don't remember. But when we were on the runway, we had landed getting ready to deboard the stewardess who was giving us instructions. And you know, you have a compartment overhead 
And she said, be careful when you go to the compartment above your head that, you know, things haven't moved around during the flight or shifted. She said, because as we all know in life, shift happens. <laughs> so I thought that that was pretty good advice. <laughs> Open the compartment carefully because things are shifting around. And we are in a season right now of things being shifted. Now, I'm going to say this again to you. Be careful of who you're listening to about conspiracies. Do conspiracies exist? They absolutely do. Is everybody in the FBI and everybody in the Department of Justice, everybody in Washington in on a big conspiracy? The answer is no. And even if they were, God still reigns. Put your eyes on God. Because I come across this stuff all the time. Some of it sounds like, wow, that's interesting. Then I go to research. This person didn't know what they're talking about. Anyway, shift happens in life. And it's happening a lot now. And we all know that. What we have to learn is how to thrive in the chaos. And it's not easy. But we will overcome. We will do it. You know, you have no idea how many times I've been in this pulpit when a little voice slips in my ear and it's not God. And it's a question. Why are you even doing this? That's the truth. I don't want to announce it every time, but sometimes I stand here and, well, frankly, I feel discouraged. That's the truth. And I hear a little voice, it's just like Jesus did in the Mountain Temptation in Matthew chapter 4. A little voice said, why are you even doing this? Well, you could be in a bigger city. And sometimes it causes me to think. I've been here for 36 years. Then I remember, this is where God called me. And no matter what happens, no matter what goes on, I must be true to my duty. Regardless of how I feel emotionally, I don't play much with my emotions. I have them. I just don't take orders from my emotions. I take orders from this book through the intellect, in the soul, and empowered by the spirit. This is where I am to be, but I want to reiterate this thing. It's a frustrating thing to me as a preacher and a pastor and so on to be teaching people who seem like they never learn. And again, I say, oh, you can flip, flip here, flip here, you flip there. It's all good, right? It's all good. You know where this verse is? You can quote that verse. That's not precisely the point. The point is how much of that verse do you actually know in your life by experience that God has always shown up? That's the thing. That's the thing, at least for me as a preacher, can be very discouraging to have said the same thing over and over and over again and to hear the same response that I've been hearing 10, 20, 30 years. My friend, I'm telling you, this world here is dark. It's going to get darker, and we have got to do the work now. We've got to believe God now. We've got to get up with aches and pains and headaches and everything else and stop making excuses and do what God has said to do because it's the only way out. It's that basket being pulled up by the monks in the monastery. There's no other way. You're either going to flop to the ground or go higher and get in the chapel. The rope may look frayed, but don't you be afraid. God will not let his rope break. I mean, just common sense would tell you, if you can hold up the stars for thousands of years, or billions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years, according to some, for me it's 6,000, in the exact same place, in the exact same position, with the planets in the exact same orbits and rotations and on and on and on, that alone is common sense to tell you God cannot fail. He never fails. But you can fail if you don't practice what he preached. And so you will be safe and secure. I have told you this story before, but I wanted to say it again because it's very apropos. And some of you have not heard it. When we were in the Bronx and my church was in the Bronx, I had a man who was on the board, an elder. And I believe, if I remember correctly, he was from Jamaica. 
originally from Jamaica. Anyway, he became the greeter at the door, and he just would introduce himself to people who came in and so on, introduce them to me later on. His name was Lenny. Oh, by the way, just to show you something, too. I had people who came to that church in the Bronx. If you know anything about the Bronx, I'm in the North Bronx at that time, and they're coming from the area of Yankee Stadium, Co-op City, driving subways, some dangerous neighborhoods. Anytime the church doors opened, they were there. I so admire those people. Some of them, a couple of them didn't have passed the grade school education, but could quote the scriptures without opening the book. Anyway, Lenny's son went through a period of depression, serious depression. So serious that one afternoon, as Lenny was there, he lived, if you know anything about co-op cities, at very tall, high rises. This boy became so depressed, as he's talking to his father, he just went forward and leaped out the window in front of his dad. Tell me, what do you do? Your son is now going down at 32 feet per second in the force of gravity. You have time to dial a prayer? Pastor, my son just jumped out the window? Look, at, I'm getting at something here. We have to learn to stand in the Lord as individuals. Then when we come together, we're even stronger. But when these things happen, when this young man jumped out the window, I forget how many stories it was, but it was very high. You don't have time to do anything except what Lenny did, and he screamed out, the right hand of the Lord. That's a true story. The right hand of the Lord. His son just disappeared out the window. His son is still falling, but the building had an awning. The boy hit the awning, spinned around on the metal frame. And if you know physics, you know, all the energy from that fall was now being spent on him spinning, fell the maybe 10 feet less, let's say 10 feet, to the ground, not a scratch on him. Nothing. I met him after the event. The right hand of the Lord. You've been around people whose prayer life is, oh, God. And like God is like, wow, that's a real prayer warrior right there. He speaks my language. And then there's people who say, oh, God, save me. And they're sincere, save me in my troubles, for my distresses. And God hears the prayer that is sincere. We did it when we were younger, some of us. Oh, God, get me out of this mess, and I'll never do it again. <laughs> what did we do as soon as we were out of the mess? Right back to it. But when you're falling at 32 feet per second off of, I don't know how many, I'll say 15 stories, I don't remember how many it was. It was a long, long way to the ground. Certain death. And the right hand of the Lord, who hits an awning and spins around till the energy is expended, and then, I wouldn't say lightly touched the ground, but he touched the ground the same way he would have if he had only been sitting on the awning and fell off the ground. Didn't break a single bone. Who? You tell me. Well, I know what you'll say. Somebody out there watching, tell me who but God can do that. To save a person in an impossible situation. That's not God's routine, by the way. There's many people that jump and they die. But we who know the Lord can call on a God in a time when there's no human aid. Have you ever been in a situation when there's no one that can help you, even if they wanted to, and they're trying to help you, and no one can help you? That's the real God who wrote this book, who so often leaves his saints, both in the book and through history, in a place where they're alone. Daniel in the lion's den. Got nobody. But he didn't have a phone either. Call anybody up, pray for me. Presumably there were some people praying, but the Bible doesn't mention it. He just stands there. And when the king comes in the morning, he's still standing there. Long live the king. I mean, I know in theory you believe in a God like that. Hell yeah, sure. But now you're in a place of testing right now. A lion's den, a fiery furnace. Many of us are. And that's when true faith shows. That's when we know who's got the real faith and who does not. 
Who's carrying a book and who's being trained and built by it because they're doing what it says. And don't let anybody tell you that faith in God is easy. It's not. It's easy to say it. Oh, I believe God. That's easy to say. It's much more difficult to say when doctors are looking over you saying, hmm, this ain't good. Or whatever the situation may be. That's when faith comes in. As we sang earlier, he's the healer of my soul. He's the healer of my mind. He is the healer. But that doesn't mean you're going to have it easy. The reports may still keep coming in. The stress. And I'll say it again. What you're looking for is comfort. And God is saying, no, sir. No, ma'am. No, you're not getting comfort. You're getting tested. Pass or fail. And God being merciful says, okay, you failed that test. We'll do it again. I learned a long time ago. So God, I know this is a test. Let me pass it and get beyond it. I don't want to repeat this thing. So you'd be wise to make that decision when you're being tested, and that's right now for a lot of you. Let's get this over with. My heart surgeon came to me, maybe it was the day before surgery, and explained to me, every cardiologist had said, you know, this is what you need, open heart surgery. And he sat down with my wife and I and explaining what's going to happen and what he's going to do and did I have any questions. My question was, why me? I played by the rules. His answer was, well, you can't pick your parents. Then he said to me, he says, now, I'm not telling you that you absolutely must have this surgery. I was like, what? And then he went through, but you don't want to be a cardiac cripple and on and on. So I asked him, I said, what would you do if you were in my position? He said, I'd have the surgery. I said, let's do it. Let's do it. See, he gave me a way out. I could have said, I don't need it. I'm out of here. All these things out of my arms, walk out the door. But who knows what may become of me if I didn't take the advice of a surgeon. Now, let me just say this to you. You think you're going to have comfort? You're not. This is the point where some people say, I'm never coming back to this church again. <laughs> because our friend Joel says, you're going to have your best life ever. But I'll tell you one thing. If that's true, this has been one lousy life. The Apostle Paul said, if we are believers in the Christ that didn't rise from the dead, he said, we're all men most miserable. I don't want someone just to give me a motivational speech. I want the truth. And the truth is you're going to have tribulations. The truth is you're in tribulation right now and you're not getting out except by the power of God, by the hand of God, by the right hand of God. The right hand of God. Now we've got to find out, and we're going to find out in the days to come, who are the true believers. You remember Jesus talked about, the apostles talked about false prophets, false believers. Well, they had the book, and they could turn to this page, that page. Oh, we have a prayer time, and oh, we have a book, and yeah. Okay, but you didn't have the training. You were never delivered from the things that have bothered you all your life. The object is to be delivered. For whom the Son sets free is truly free. Truly free. Well, Job said in chapter 11, verse 18, Thou shalt be secure because there is hope. 11, 18, book of Job. And thou shalt be secure because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. Now here's this text, hopefully put it to practice. Does it look like we're safe in America right now? Doesn't look like we're safe to me. But in the Lord, he says, no, I got my eye on you. I watch you everywhere you go. I will keep you safe. Again, that doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. I got into a friend's car one time. I needed a ride. He was going to give me a ride. Can you give me a ride? Yeah, he gave me a ride. A, he didn't have a passenger seat. Well, the passenger seat was actually, here's the driver back here. I looked at the brake pedal. It was literally a block of wood. And it went on and on like this. I said, how do you drive a car like this? Oh, I get around with it. It was unbelievable. And I'm only going to my house and I'm wanting to get out. But I got there safe enough. 
But God is much more creative and responsible than that. But I'm just reiterating something to you. And let it burn in your memory. You're not getting away from stress. Don't look for it. Like me, oh, I'm going to live in the woods. I've already figured out. I'll live in the woods for about three days. I'll run out of food. I won't know where the water is. And before all of these things get to me, I will be eaten alive by mosquitoes, <laughs> bugs, and all this stuff. It's a fantasy. There is no place on the planet where there's an easy life. And in the Lord, we encompass things that other people do not. But then that's the discipline that keeps us going and gets us through. Let me just share with you what it means to be secure. I'm going to finish. Something that is secure is fixed or it's fastened. A little extra, maybe one extra turn on the nut make it secure. We are secure in Christ. And if you don't believe that, the enemy has a place to get in. Maybe you're not going to heaven. Maybe there's not, you know, all these philosophical things that other people struggle with that you should not be struggling with at all, ever. But it doesn't come simply by reading. It comes by practice, by training. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me. Well, theoretically, he delivered me. I'm still a nervous wreck. That's not what the scripture says. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all, say it with me, all, all my fears. Now, that's freedom, my friend. Amen. And I'm not going to explain my testimony. Too much has been said already about it. It's online. Go listen to it. I know what I'm talking about by experience. I'm not an armchair general. I'm telling you, I live this life and I refuse to not believe in the God that wrote this book and submit to his training and become stronger and stronger. Because I'm not going into heaven on my hands and knees saying, oh God, I'm not whining my way through this life. I want to stand as a soldier of Jesus Christ, not when it's sunshine and rainbows, but when it's the most important time is when the stress is on. And the doubts are coming through your mind as the apostles had them. And the thought is coming into your mind. Why am I even doing this? And on and on and on. To stay firm in the Lord and stay strong in this hour of history. Both world history, American history, and your personal history. To stay strong in the Lord. Let me just wrap this up. I can tell you that I am definitely not ashamed of whom I have believed in. I don't care who doesn't like it. Don't matter to me. This is my life. And I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not theoretically, but in practical application. And I don't care what people say. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. If the devil's trying to bore a little hole in your head, look at if you don't address the issues in your life, the devil has a way. You have a weakness and he's going to accent that weakness. Anybody who's good at fighting knows you. you don't fight their strength. You fight their weakness. Find the weakness, accent it. Take them out. And the devil is looking to take you out. Think about the question that Jesus asked. Why did you doubt? I have a lot of good reasons why I have doubted at times. Not serious doubt, but wavered. But the short answer is this. I wasn't yet convinced that all these things are true. I'm talking about some time ago. But I did know from instruction from the book, as well as intuitively, the only way to find out if this is true is to put it to the test. When my wife and I were first born again, we sat in a little church, and they would have guest ministers come and talk about how they went on the field, the missionary field, and they didn't have this, and they didn't have that, and they prayed, and God provided, and all these wonderful things. And I found myself provoked in a good way. I don't want to hear, to myself I said, I don't want to hear about these things. I want to see them. I want to see them for myself. So that's when I decided to just take the leap and get all in. This is many, many long years ago now. 
What I didn't count on, as I told you, is that God was going to test me. Listen, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, time me, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you have real faith, you don't go through the shadow of death. You don't go through the valley. You're always on the mountaintop. Where'd you get that out of this book? Sometimes the mountaintop, sometimes the valley. And you're walking through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is a fearsome place, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. And that's what we're going to have in the days ahead. The theory is going to melt away because the flames of the fire of these times we're going through is either going to lead us into a place of distress, and easily it could, or we're going to have eustress, a stress that keeps building us and making us stronger. Which will it be for you? For me, I want the strength that comes from the Lord that is not just a theory, but a testimony. How about you? And as we go to prayer this morning, I want you to remember the difference between theoretical Christian and an actual believer. Someone who has got the experience and the testimonies in their life. So you're in the boat, and there's a great storm going on in your life right now. And you're a believer, you know, you're a Christian, you come faithfully and you read your Bible and pray. And now the water's come in the boat. And you're saying to yourself, because you're an experienced fisherman, and you're saying to yourself, this is not going to work out, eh? It shouldn't have been a storm. B, the water's coming in the boat. And then the worst of all is God is asleep. God, where are you? And he doesn't answer. We demand that you answer. And God says, don't you demand anything of me. I'm God. Well, this is the question now. Will God get up in your boat? And will he rebuke the waves and the sea? And will there be a calm? And is he asking you today, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? That's the question you want to answer. The water is in your boat. The storm is raging. God is asleep. And you're being tested to see if you actually believe in the power of God. And everybody always has been in the past. And they are now and they will in the future who believes in Christ. My suggestion as we pray, pass the test the first time. But you've already failed. Take it again. You said you failed twice. Take it again. And keep showing up until you pass and move on. And move forward. Father, again, only you know the hearts of people. I don't. But I ask you today to strengthen us here in this northeast corner of the United States, which is not the Bible Belt, and it's not the places that ministers come, nor do they want to come. But you caused us to be here. And I don't know the hearts of men, but you do. And I ask you, God, to strengthen so that we're not theoretical Christians. We're actual Christians who expect God to get up, awaken, Speak to the storm and bring a great calm so that we can tell other people God is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You seek God. I don't doubt that. I've pastored you for a long time. But do you seek him diligently? Looking up Greek and Hebrew words is very helpful, but that's not necessarily diligence. That's intelligence. Diligence is an act of the will that no matter what happens, like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And right now at your seat, would you make a little altar? Altars were not made like some of us thought, you know, with little statues on them and sprinkle a little water and say some prayer. Altars in the Old Testament were a place of death. And things in our lives have got to die. They just got to go. They got to die. It's the attitude. It's whatever it may be. It has to die. Because if it doesn't, to that degree, we can't be filled with God. We can't be filled with the Lord. 
Make a little altar right there in your lap. Is it fear and anxiety? You say, whoa, I've had this all my life. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I can bring you scientific evidence that it don't matter. But we don't need that. We got the book. Doesn't matter how long you've suffered with things, God is a healer, a deliverer, a savior, and you are safe and secure. In that altar, take out your knife and just plunge it right through that area that's keeping you from being fully devoted to Christ. So that when he appears, he will find faith on the earth at Time for Truth Ministries, in you and in me. So Father, we come before you today as we all are in the pressure cooker and we are determined to pass the test. Help us, God, to seek you diligently, not just in words, not just in definitions, but in reality. They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Help us to know it in experience. Help us to get to the point where there's so many testimonies we don't have time for them all. To have to write them out, we'll put them on the website of a God who shows up because you're God. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. In the good times, as the song says, praise his name. In the bad times, be here more often. Sing a little louder. In the bad times, praise his name because he's worthy of praise. So God, we bless you and praise you this morning. Another Lord's Day, one week closer to our seeing you. Help us to stay strong and know that we are safe and secure. Remind us during the week to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength, with everything that we have, and then to love one another. And we give you all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honor this morning in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me today? Amen.